With the sports world on pause, we've teamed Greg Linelli and Eric Erlinson together for Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point headman, right to Kudrop. Score! Patrick Kudrop! It was a busy weekend, at least relatively speaking, in terms of NHL news. Welcome to another edition of Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I'm Eric Erlinson alongside my co-host Greg Linelli, and we'll discuss everything that took place over the weekend, including a very important meeting that will take place this afternoon with the NHL Board of Governors, where we are expected to get some news regarding the NHL draft and what that might mean. I know we've talked about it a little bit last week, and some of the interesting angles taking place in terms of maybe holding the draft next month instead of after whatever conclusion there might be from this 2019-2020 season that has been on pause since March the 12th. We're also going to be joined by Jay Retcher from 95.3 WDAE and 620 AM. Get some of his thoughts on what he's been up to and uh, maybe, maybe... Maybe we'll wish him a happy birthday. We'll we'll have to see about that. Uh, and we will now bring in my co-host, Greg Linelli. And, uh, Greg, I start with this. Happy Star Wars Day. Oh, boy. Happy Did Star, Wars, Star Day. Wars Day. You didn't so know Star Wars what, Day? So that's what I saw on Twitter a bit here. I, I wasn't picking up on the Star Wars Day. I thought it was just some Star Wars nerds that were having fun. Are you calling me a nerd? <laughs> now listen i'll say this i'll say this i do like star wars i feel like the originals were probably the best yep. um and i'm a bigger fan of phantom menace than most Ooh, but that's controversial but, but well to the hot to the star wars nerds <laughs> it is um but i i did not know that are you do you have your lightsaber with you or um, it, it is, it's a non-functioning at the moment. It's, uh, gotcha. it's been on pause, uh, probably going back to, uh, 1977 when the first movie initially came out. I, I mean, I mean, I'm a Star Wars fan. I would not say that I'm a fanatic by any stretch of the imagination, but, gotcha. but do you know why today is Star Wars day? Tell me. It's May the 4th. <laughs> May the 4th be with you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that is why. That. May I the 4th is... <laughs> Star Wars. Day. Boy, do we have too much time on our hands? I think right now with the, the social distancing, staying inside and just being on social media. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of time, probably Man. way too much time spent on social media. I, and like I'll say this, um, yeah. like I've stopped watching the news as much as I used to, uh-huh. uh, but I have not stopped paying attention to social media because I figure whatever news I need to get, yeah, filtering through a lot of the stuff, of course, is going to come on my social media, but. Um, yeah, it, way too much time probably on the social media than I would, that I probably need to. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm on there a lot. Well, it's a, it is a big day, not only because it is Star Wars Day. Are they running shows, movies throughout the day? You know, the the big deal is that on Disney Plus they are launching uh, the Rise of Skywalker, which of course is the last movie in the Skywalker saga, yeah. which um, is now on Disney Plus. So that's that's okay. a that's probably way ahead of schedule um, because okay. of the pandemic as you saw it with frozen 2 when they launched frozen 2 on disney plus which is a little bit more closer Amazing. to your home i would imagine yeah for sure for sure we're we're actually having tinkerbell come to our outside of our house on wednesday mm. 
Yeah. We, gonna, we could all use a little pixie dust right now. For sure. No doubt. But today's also a big day for a lot of reasons. We're going to get into the hockey perspective, but, you know, we've talked about the other side of this with the pandemic and states opening up. It's, I think, 30 states today, kind of a, a soft launch of getting the economy back open and that'll be interesting to see, I think, A, how well they do, what is the economy going to look like in some of those states that choose to open up sooner rather than later, and just B, you know, how big of a spike will we see when it comes to the coronavirus, because I think most people expect it will when you're going to open up businesses and people are out and about mingling around, which, you know, I started to see that this weekend for sure. Yeah. At least around where I was. Now, I will say this. I went to Publix this morning. My wife and I had to do some errands. We wore our masks. I would say probably 90% of the people wore masks. Hmm. You know? Yeah, we were we were in the store of the weekend. Uh, we went to both Walmart and Publix, and I would say in Publix, probably more people than Walmart mm-hmm. were wearing masks. Uh, but the Walmart is still limiting people, so there's somebody counting number in and out, so they only have one entrance. I mean, you can't even go out the gardening um, exit uh, either. Y'all have to. It's everything is in one way and out uh, the same way. So, uh, but I, I would like to see more people wearing masks. Uh, that would make me feel a little bit more comfortable because um, I, I can't say that even with stuff opening up if I'm 100% on board or comfortable with it just because like I know how to protect myself I worry about other people knowing how to protect themselves from me mm-hmm. right and that's that's to me that's the big concern yeah I mean I, I think a lot of me just says listen you know at some point and you have I you and I have had this discussion as it relates to sports as it relates to just real life that you know, at some point you're just going to have to open it up and you're going to have to rely on people to be smart. And it was an interesting article that I saw today from the American Institute for Economic Research. You know, talk about Nerdville. Um, it, it referenced back to Woodstock occurring in the middle of a pandemic back in 68, arriving in, there was a, um, a big time flu epidemic in the United States that spread from Hong Kong to the United States, according to this article, arriving in December of 1968 and peaking a year later. It said it ultimately killed 100,000 people in the U.S., mostly over the age of 65 and 1 million worldwide. But it it was an interesting perspective because it compared how we're doing things today and comparing it to what happened in 1969. They were talking about, look, Woodstock was open. (laughs) Like... And you know things were was shut the age down. of free love. It was man. A lot of a lot of things were free uh, at Woodstock. Um, but it, it was just an interesting perspective how they dealt with that. And you know they talked to some people who remember that pandemic, and they said, yeah, you know we we kind of we cleaned a bit more around the house, and we were aware of some things, but. You know, uh, things weren't shut down, and we won't find out the ramifications of this, I think, for another few years, but it was just, it was an interesting perspective, you know, for those of you that like to read history and how we've dealt with things, sometimes how we've dealt with things in the past, it's a good barometer of how we should do things moving forward, and sometimes it's not, but I, 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 that that article um, caught my attention because... You know, we talk about social distancing, and could you just imagine 
having this and then a huge concert where thousands of people were <laughs> taking it all in, you know, and I mean, that wouldn't be loud right now, obviously. Yeah. 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 Very, very interesting to see how this is going to be moving forward and how this is going to affect everything we have to do. And certainly we know it's affected the sports world in, in big ways. And uh, as we referenced a little bit at the beginning of the show, there is an NHL Board of Governors meeting today in regards to the NHL draft. And we talked a lot about the NFL draft and how that was handled, how that was done virtually um, without a hiccup, which is pretty, pretty surprising. Mm hmm. Uh, considering the lead time they had to kind of put all that together and something that had never been done before, you know, so ESPN and ABC certainly did a wonderful job of, of making sure that that kind of came off without a hitch. And now we're going to probably start talking about the NHL draft. And, Greg, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when this idea was first floated by the league, by Commissioner Barry, Gary Bettman in particular, and we thought, well, this isn't that's a silly idea. How can you have the draft before the end and whatever conclusion they find to the 1920 season, like you have to have the draft after. That's the way it's supposed to be. Well, you start to read the memo that came out to team executives on Friday, uh, late Friday afternoon, and how it relates to today's Board of Governors meeting. The, 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 the league is making its very strong case, and when this happens, it's usually going to happen, to hold the draft at some point next month for a myriad of reasons and they put their best case forward to convince teams that this is the way to go not a lot of general managers are on board with this but the league is and as somebody has said in a couple of different stories that i've read when gary bettman suggests something it's not a suggestion it's a get prepared this is what's going to happen so in that sense, I think we have to start to be prepared for the idea that the NHL will hold its draft at some point in June with some stipulations uh, that we know about. But it's a long way from where we were two weeks ago when we thought, ah, this is just a silly idea. Well, yeah, because it, it puts teams like the Lightning in a bit of a pickle because part of the draft is to acquire talent but also part of the draft is to move assets to be salary cap compliant. And while we don't know what the salary cap will be next year, we do know that the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to have to make some moves in the offseason to get under the cap because they have some restricted free agents they have to take care of. They're going to need a pretty sizable raise. So listen, if, if that's being thrown around and Gary Bettman is really going to push hard and I don't want to say demand, but you know, strongly suggest that the draft be held in June. Strong. I strenuously tell you this is going to happen. Yeah, then to me, that tells me they've got a plan in place for teams that need to trade some assets around that time, that there's going to be some sort of extension, maybe a waiver, maybe an understanding that part two of the draft, so to speak, will take place when the playoffs are over. And the concern you would have is that teams at the draft who typically you know, consummate a deal, you don't want that being leaked during a playoff run. In other words... Well, the, here's, 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 here's one ahead. of the stipulations, though. Bill Daly basically came out and said, any deals involving players on your roster right now will not exist. So they would take that off the board. So any trades that would have to be made would involve prospects or draft picks. Well, that, that is, and that is true, but you and I know that deals are discussed when teams, when owners, are all t general managers are all in the same building. 
So well, that, that may be true on the surface. That doesn't mean we don't hear something that could be leaked that says, hey, I'm hearing that pick a Tampa Bay player that's been rumored to be dealt could go once the that – that a deal is in place once the season ends to be shipped to such and such for this player. But I, That's I don't even know. But I don't even know if those conversations would be had, right? Because you don't think because those type of moves are end of the year moves, and at this point we don't know when the end of the year is going to be. Mm-hmm. So like you can't involve 2020 draft picks in any of these conversations. So I'm not sure how those conversations would be had at this point. You might have them, but I don't think you would get to the point. Well. Like, because you can't make conditional. Well, I guess you could, but in theory, I don't think you could make. Well, New Jersey trades its number one, you know, its its first round draft pick to, you know, uh, Toronto for future considerations. Uh, maybe that could be done, but then then the speculation will start. But that that's what I'm saying. I, I I think those type of roster resetting deals take place after the season is done, and it just happens to be that the draft is a centralized location where everybody is together in June. You know, a couple of weeks after they award the Stanley Cup and you start business next season, that's when the business of next season really gets underway. Well, now we know the business of next season may not start until September, October. And, you know, that's going to be the time, I think, to reset some of your, your rosters and make some of these trades, you know, as we've talked about with the Lightning and the situation they have against the cap, that, you know, those conversations would be had whenever the season ends. And I don't know if you would have those conversations necessarily in June, especially if the league is saying, you know, players on your current roster are not eligible to be traded right now. Well, plus there would still be a roster freeze. That's the other part of this. There would still be a roster freeze in effect until whenever you get back to playing the season. Yep. I mean, all that makes sense for sure. And it'll be interesting to see how the league, I think, pulls this all off because – it's unusual. I mean, during the draft, we do see we see trades that are made, and a lot of times teams set themselves up in a particular way for next year and the years after because they're able to, to mix and match. So I don't know if I have a, a huge opinion one way or the other when it comes to them doing this in June. I think probably when the start of this season – begins again is something I'm more curious about because then that'll affect next year directly. And, you know, maybe that, that talk that Pierre Lebrun had that it looks like the regular season would begin in December, maybe holds a little bit more weight. You know, the more we, we kind of uh, move forward with some of this talk about drafts and when the regular season begins next year. Yeah, I I think we have to consider that November December is is the target, and then they haven't put a target on it. And but that seems to be the time frame that they're looking at to try and get this year's business completed. And a couple other things that I was reading, you know, I read in the New York Post from Larry Brooks that you know his opinion is you can hold the draft in June, but you should have a plan in place for what your what your rest of your calendar is going to look like. When are you going to restart? When you can look at restarting the start of the 2021 season you know have that in place before you hold a draft because then you can start to make different plans and understand that this is the time frame in which you have to work at and the other part of holding the draft in june before there's a conclusion of this season are all those conditional draft picks you know we've mentioned the one that uh, vancouver traded to la for uh, alex i you know it's tied into whether or not vancouver makes the playoffs 
or the pick that New Jersey now holds from Vancouver via the Blake Coleman trade. The condition was if Vancouver doesn't make the playoffs this year, it's lottery protected. And then it gets pushed to next year. Well, if you don't know whether Vancouver's in the playoffs or not right now, how do you make that condition? And there, there is something that they said that they could rework some of those deals, that you could go back and find new ways to make those conditional picks a little bit different uh, in all that aspect. So there are ways that it can be worked around. But two very interesting sort of side effects of that, uh, and I think I just saw Chris Johnson set out, there's about 21 conditional yeah. trades that were made that are going to have an effect, that would have an effect on this year's draft that wow. might have to be reworked. And that's interesting because then that, in some ways you could go back and you could say, well, if you don't get the draft pick that you wanted when you made the trade, is it fair to say you wouldn't have made that trade in the first place? Yeah. So I think that becomes maybe the biggest issue out of all of this. You know, teams are very specific with what they want and they target certain teams to do business with because of maybe the draft pick that they have that they'd be willing to give up where they would be uh, in the draft lottery or the draft order. And if you're not going to get what you quote unquote paid for, then that's a, that's a big deal for a lot of teams, particularly ones who are trying to rebuild through the drafty or for a team like Tampa Bay, who, you know, maybe had something protected depending on where they finished. I, I think that to me is a bigger issue. And I, I guess the question would be, how would you, work around that because it's not like you could go back and redo the trades especially if you got an NHL player back in return in one of them yeah and I, th I think that's what the league is telling teams though that you can go back and rework those a little bit you know you can that maybe both sides could be happy with sort of a reworked deal still involving some of those same aspects maybe changing the conditions of it you know in, in the case of the Canucks okay maybe you change that to next year you know, we'll give you a draft pick if we don't make the playoffs this year compared to next year. You know, there are ways that it can sort of be worked around a little bit. Um, you know, and the one other thing that I was reading, too, and this involves drafting European players. I know we got to get to Jay Retcher, but um, in drafting European players, this is a big deal for that as well because there is a deadline to sign European players because of how yeah. early their season usually starts. And we don't know where things stand with some of the European leagues. But there is, a, I think, a July 15 deadline to sign European players. And if you push back the draft, does that mean European players aren't going to be drafted this year? It, it, like, like, there's that aspect of it, too. There's that other side, and that was one of the league's arguments when it comes to holding this draft in June to try and keep at least some part of that part of the calendar uh, intact as well um, because that's a big deal as well. You know, there's a uh, we always see a bunch of European players that are high draft picks. Um, they come over and make an impact right away in the NHL. Rasmus Dahlin just a couple years ago was the number one overall pick by Buffalo. So you see some of that stuff in place as well. So that's something that the league has to consider in this whole equation. Let's get to Jay Retcher and talk more about this, because I think there are some other things from that article that we saw today or over the weekend that Elliot Friedman, I know, especially wrote, and it came to uh, the different cities that would uh, host all of these teams at their destination. And... Um, it was interesting to read uh, who was omitted and who was on that list. But we'll talk to Jay from 95.3 WDAE and uh, AM620. When we return, he's Eric Aronson. I am Greg Linnelli. It is the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch with Greg Linnelli and Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play. Power Play. You know, sometimes... 
I think for the majority of time, social distancing is awful, but I'm fortunate we're social distancing with our next guest because I can't stand to be around him. And um, it took a lot for me to have him on the show today, and Eric had to twist my arm. But I, I appreciate that about E, uh, being the elder statesman of the show. <laughs> and uh, let's bring in, uh, I, I digress, he's a good friend of ours, Jay Retcher from 95.3 WDA and Lightning Power. And it's his birthday. It is his birthday 24? 24, yeah, I'll take that. You take that, right? <laughs> you can add a, yeah, add a Mark that. Messier to that Ryan Callahan, and then we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> what? Thanks. Happy birthday, thanks buddy. Me, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Happy birthday, pal. It's, uh, it stinks to have it, you know, in these circumstances, but I know you're making the best of it. You had a chance to catch up with some family, and at this point, that's... Uh, that's what you have to keep in perspective, Jay. You and I talk about this a lot. Sometimes the hustle and bustle of life, particularly with this pandemic going on, we lose sight of that. But it's it's good to be able to to check in with the folks and, and see how they're doing, albeit, you know, on FaceTime. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I woke up this morning and I just threw, like, some music on the iHeart player. And uh, I'll Be Missing You came on by Boyz II Men and Mariah Carey. And that was the song that Ooh. came out when my grandfather passed away uh when i was in fifth grade and my grandfather was the one guy that took me to all my practices and all my games so you know it's kind of one of those things where it was like that had to you know it's that wasn't random you know what i mean so uh yeah it's tough man and i think this whole you know the whole pandemic thing and it kind of puts things in perspective for me i'm not a big you know going out party big drinker kind of guy so days like today are really you know you kind of reflect on things and the people in your life and you know with me with none of my family living here in the immediate area i was thinking to myself like you know this time of year the majority of my time are probably spent with you two guys so uh, it really just kind of puts into perspective you know how friendships and how important friends are and you know at times especially when you're covering a team you spend more time with your colleagues and your friends than you do your family and especially me because you know it's not like i go home to them so thank you guys i appreciate uh, both of you eric greg and, and steve as well uh, for all you guys do uh, for lightning power play and just everything man your friendship means a lot to me and i think days like this are a good day to kind of reflect on uh, the great people that you have around you so that's the amount of that's the the limit of good things i'll ever say about greg Linnelli. so get it marked on tape he said great uh... he said great i can't i can't get away i can't escape that wordy he said great uh, i appreciate that about him and there's nothing great about that comment <laughs> i'm with you brother i love it uh yeah no it, it it really is and uh Jay we've had uh during this pandemic we we've celebrated two birthdays in my household my mm-hmm. uh my youngest turned 15 during this pandemic and lost out on his chance to go get his learner's permit until the DMV oh. opens up which I hope is this week I have an appointment to get him his learner's permit but uh I'm sure you're not aware but uh, you have to have your permit for a calendar year in the state of florida before you can get your actual license so his opportunity to get that license was pushed back by about a month and a half by the time he's going to get it and then my wife had her birthday last week so it's definitely interesting times to celebrate uh, these sort of milestones these moments at home during the situation but uh, can you imagine if this had happened 15 years 20 years ago when we didn't have the opportunity to at least connect with a facetime or a zoom or whatever ways we can at least see each other like we had a little zoom call for my son when he turned 15 i got my other son who's out in orlando i got my dad my uh, wife's parents uncles everybody was on that call to at least be able to wish him a happy birthday that way 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about that, uh, Eric. You know, we're talking about that at the station. Like, as much as people are complaining now, oh, I haven't been here, I haven't been here. Well, yeah, that's great. But what if you didn't have Facebook and Instagram and FaceTime and social media and all these different things to be able to keep in contact with people and order food like Uber Eats and things like that too? So, yeah. you know what I mean? So, it's it, yeah, man, I'm with you 100%. It would be so crazy if this happened 15 years ago. And I, I look at it like this, man. Uh, it could be a lot worse. You know, there's a lot of people that are going through a lot of bad things, you know, whether it's with the pandemic or not. So, you know, I'm just still thankful to knock on wood, still have my health, have good family and friends and, and have a job that I, I love. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a time to kind of be grateful amidst some of the chaos that's going on right now. What's interesting, and Jay, you do a lot of work um, and are really dialed into the high school baseball scene here in, in Tampa. And those kids, obviously the ones, the senior classes that can't graduate, but, you know, I played baseball, you played baseball. Uh, the kids that don't get an opportunity to finish their, their sport career, I think, is, is fascinating. I'm curious, especially the ones that are going to be going to college somewhere and playing or maybe get drafted. Have you, have you um, talked to some of those kids, and, and what are they doing now, and how does that all change maybe their future moving forward? Yeah, I mean, the MLB draft, man, for, you know, how many rounds it is, multiple, you know, days with all the rounds to it. And they're talking about limiting that down. I know a lot of the players that were kind of hoping that, hey, maybe I'll get drafted. A lot of them are just like, hey, man, we might just say, all right, put all of our, you know, we're going to school. But with that being said, you know, some of those guys that are coming back, it's going to be a rough year for those kids. I feel so bad for them. Not just because they don't have to get that, you know, they're not allowed to get that senior moment of whether it's their last game or senior night or, you know, going to the state final four, but just next year, what does the future hold for them? They're done with high school. Are their spots still going to be available? I know there's certain uh, colleges around the country that are telling kids that were kind of on that lower level, like, hey, that scholarship that we promised you, you know, we we kind of have to make some adjustments here. So it's very rough, man. I, I definitely empathize with those kids. Uh, and I think you'll see a lot more kids take the college route if they can make it. So this is where I think opportunities for D2 schools like the University of Tampa, possibly even them. I just saw Joe, Joe Urso, the head coach of UT baseball, say, you know, he's going to have to make some tough decisions as well. Um, it's rough, man. And I, I think there's going to be more and more questions uh, than answers when it comes to situations like that, because it, that's going to affect not just the next couple of months, but the next whole calendar year. So. You know, your, your heart goes out to those kids, and hopefully, you know, a lot of them that I've been talking to, a lot of home training, just working on focusing on improving their skill set because that's really all they can do. Yeah, those players in the spring sports are uh, in, in, a, in a tough spot uh, as they move on from their high school careers, no matter what the sport is. Uh, you know, softball, same thing. With I'm sure yeah. they have to go through the same situation with, with the college um, scholarships and everything else that are usually there for players and, and to not get scouted. I mean, there might be some players who, you know, we see it in drafts and, and, you know, pro drafts where players have an incredible final season, say of junior eligibility, and that sparks them way up the draft board. And, you know, so that's going to be a, an opportunity. They don't get to get looked at uh, as well in those situations. And Jay, in relate to that, you know, we just had the NFL draft a couple of weeks ago and huge numbers as you would expect as people are starving for some, sports news to come out that the NHL now might be holding their draft in June. And we had uh, a discussion on that in, in the segment before you came on. Uh, you experienced your first draft last year in Vancouver when we were out there. 
but the idea of an NHL draft compared to an NFL draft, it's not going to be the same. But do you think that there's a way that this can be pulled off that people will get interested that maybe weren't watching hockey? Yes, I think. And you know what? If if we've learned anything from the NFL draft is that, you know, especially after day one, you know, you, you kind of stick around for rounds two and three and then rounds four through seven. A lot of them are guys, you know, they're not announcing every pick. They're just seeing it scroll on the bottom of the screen. But I think you saw the human interaction for people, even though maybe some of these guys weren't household names. And I thought it brought some uh, needed attention to the draft. I actually watched the entire NFL draft from start to finish just to kind of, you know, there wasn't anything else going on, but also just to kind of see how they operated from day one to day two and kind of how everything changed there. But, yeah, I think this is going to really help the NHL draft. It's going to be one of those things where uh, people that didn't even know that they televised it. My friends of mine didn't have any idea that they even televised the NHL draft. Um, so I think this is a great thing. I think you're going to get to understand and, and kind of learn some of these players. It'll be a little different than football, obviously, because – the majority of the players you're not going to see play imminently like you do in the NFL. But, hey, you never know, man. Tampa Bay, you're looking for some kind of live action, and especially with some of the moving and shaking they're going to probably have to be doing with contracts here in the next couple of years. I want to get to know some of these prospects. You never know who's going to be on the move and who's going to be the next great superstar. So, yeah, I think this is a real positive thing. I think they're going to take some of the positives that they got from the NFL draft and apply it to the NHL. I'm just upset that I possibly could have went to Montreal with you guys, man. So, uh, you know, that was, I had so much fun last year in Vancouver. Is uh, one of the, you know, best moments of my career and my life, man. Something I'll never forget. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if we got to do it digitally here and, and kind of do it online, I think it's pretty cool. I'm excited for it. So it looks like, uh, according to Elliot Freeman, Jay, on Tuesday, the um, Steve Mayer, the NHL's chief content officer, and his events team, they're going to meet with Gary Bettman and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly to review the bids for potential hubs should the league resume its season sometime this summer. And the article goes on to say it's believed that Carolina, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Vegas have expressed interest, but one team official said he heard there were more than 10 of us submitting bids. Um, it, curious because we've heard so much about Tampa possibly being a, on a, a short list where they could um, hold something like that, and you know, maybe the only drawback would be the temperature. But the reality is, Jay, I think if you're talking about summer hockey, I think ice is going to be an issue regardless of where you play. Yeah, and, you know, the big thing with that would be the humidity. So, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, that would be issues anywhere. Um, people forget, too, man. I mean, I grew up in New York City, and <laughs> I've been in New York City when it's 95, too, man, with the – 90% humidity like it gets hot as hell there too it's not for the you know extended periods of time that we see here in the bay area but that's definitely something that other uh cities have to look at but hey man if if tampa bay is one of those you know 10 options or so i think people here would be all for it uh, i just think you just gotta you have to get some way where you're taking those baby steps to get back to normalcy whether it's you know just practicing or games with no fans or what have you just you got to start creeping back because I, I think 
what's a lot of people saying that, oh, it's just going to all go back to normal. I think that's very short-sighted. You're going to see games with no fans, kind of like what we saw before everything went crazy. One of Manchester United's last soccer games were without fans in the stands, and it was kind of spooky uh, to watch it. But at the end of the day, it was still a game, and you didn't really worry after the first 30 seconds that there was nobody in the stands. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think anything, any news is good news right now, and I think the more and more we find out about what's going on with COVID-19 and as far as vaccines go, as far as the spread goes, I think it's going to be an incremental process, but I also think they're going to take what they see from other organizations and leagues around the world, whether it's the Bundesliga or the Premier League or anything, or the KBO, the Korean Baseball League. I think everybody, it's going to be kind of a trial and error type thing where, yeah, you may see everybody come back and then you see a couple of people come down with it, but hopefully they can quarantine those people and kind of limit it there. I don't think it's going to be run flawlessly, but I also think that um, there is hope and there is optimism, and uh, and I think we will see hockey over the summer. Jay Retcher from 95.3 WDAE, catch him 3 to 7 weekdays with the Ron and Ian show. Um, Jay, how much are you going to be paying attention to the start of the Korean Baseball League, which uh, is actually going to be shown live um, coming up here very soon, and, and some of the restrictions that they have. We were talking about this before we came on the air, but uh, no spitting allowed, which we know for whatever reason, spitting is very involved in baseball. Uh, the umpires have to wear masks and gloves. There are no high fives, and if a player tests cos- positive, they shut things down for three weeks at a minimum uh, if that happens. But you're a baseball guy, guy I know, sports in general, but you're a big baseball guy. Will you be paying attention to that and then maybe think about how that might look when we start restarting sports here in North America? Yeah, I've actually taken a look at some of their kind of preseason games, what they've done. It looked really weird. It just it seemed like it, it was like a spring training game, obviously. I mean, you know, you're not going to have many at all, any fans in the stands, but just have that type feel of a smaller kind of minor league spring training game. But, yeah, I'm going to keep a keen eye on that and see – how they operate. I, I think it's going to be tough to think that nobody at all, when you come back, is going to come down with coronavirus. So, I mean, them shutting down for three weeks, I understand you have to take precautions, but it's an interesting situation. You think that nobody's ever going to come down with it again, and if one person does, then you shut everything down for three weeks. I think you just take the proper precautions. You're testing the temperatures. You know, there's a lot of thermal reading kind of software and thermal reading technology out right now, so hopefully something like that will help. But, yeah, I mean, I, I want some sports to kind of get back to normal, and I think that's a good start. Jay Retcher joins us here from 95.3 WD. I, I think that's my interesting, I don't want to say angle, but uh, something I'm going to be keeping an eye on, uh, Jay, is that you know once these sports leagues do get back going and, and are playing games and they're in the middle of this, uh, the minute they see a few players test for the coronavirus, you know, do you close it back up and, and shut things down? Or do you just have to say, look, you, you got to keep going, you got to keep pushing and we'll deal with it because we're starting to learn more about this coronavirus. And I think we're better prepared now than we were just two months ago. And I think we'll be even uh, more prepared two months from now than we are now currently. So I'm curious what your viewpoint is once the leagues do pick up. If you start to see some cases arise, are you for the leagues continuing to play or do you do you shut it down again? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, man, because you want to take that selfishness out of it. You want to say, well, health is first and foremost, right? But with that being said, you got to get back to normal somehow. 
And you can't think that just one person, if one person comes down to it, that it's going to spread to hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, you're taking precautions. So if it's something like this happens where somebody comes down with it and you're in the middle of taking good care of everybody and you understand exactly where it came from. I look at what happened in the WWEs. They've still been, you know, operating during these crazy times. And obviously why that's happening is probably an, another lengthy conversation, but there was a WWE worker that came down with COVID-19, not from WWE, but also from being friends with some medical people in the Orlando area. That person was quarantined. They were away. And now they've gone through the COVID-19. I don't know if they're back to work yet, but they're right there as an example of, OK, there's somebody that was working. If they would have shut the whole thing down for somebody that works there that didn't even get it from there, like to me, you have to be transparent with all the information. If you can kind of lock it down of right this is where they got it from and you go from there i don't think you have to shut everything down because something like that happens now if it's something where they don't know where it happened and one person turns into three then turns into five and before you get to you know a hundred or something like that yeah then probably a good idea to shut things down but i think the parameters for something like this is going to be kind of on a case-by-case basis and the big thing is just sharing information not propaganda not crazy stats that you see just making sure that we're all understanding what's going on, being smart, being safe, being educated. Jim, curious, uh, some of the guests you've had on, uh, how have they kind of thought about where things might look in, in terms of getting things back to normal sports-wise and, and maybe finding ways to get fans in the stands and what that normal might look like whenever, whatever sport. We know NASCAR is about to kick back up with some mm-hmm. races without stands. The PGA Tour announced some dates next month without um, uh, fans uh, on the greens to watch it, so they'll they'll presume. But in terms of arena sports and what that might look like uh, for people that you've talked to, yeah, pretty. You know, kind of. We've had we've been so lucky to kind of go coast to coast like butter and toast, being able to reach out to so many different people uh, and get kind of their insight. Talking to Joe Madden, uh, former race skipper and now Angels manager out in Arizona, he's in his RV right now, and talking to a guy like John Morosi for Fox Sports, who's up in Michigan. His wife's on the front line, uh, working in the hospital, and him being, you know, a, uh, a worldwide guy with with the in tune on sports information. But yeah, it's very similar, and, and you kind of it's it's kind of very uh, warming to hear people have that optimism. Eric, you're very optimistic as well about the return of the season. And I know the guys are very happy to, you know, when you get off the phone, it's like, all right, well, we got, you know, double E says, you know, we're positive. Brian Burns, uh, who we've had and, and Greg as well. I mean, you just, you guys kind of echo the sentiments that we've got from some of our, you know, national guests saying, Hey man, you know, we like the steps. We like the process. We like the communication between the leaks, you know, whether you're political affiliation or not, you know, when the president says, Hey, we got to get all the leaks together and just get on a conversation, get on a call together. That's a positive sign because now you're sharing information. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes you don't see that whether, you know, the NBA doesn't always work with the NHL and the MLB doesn't work with the NFL. But in a situation like this, a lot of people are sharing information. And a lot of the information that we're hearing is that, yeah, it's going to be a slow step-by-step process. Nobody wants to jump headfirst into this kind of thing. And yeah, it's just, you're kind of going to be crawling before you're walking here. And a lot of people have echoed the sentiment that, yeah, you might see sports without fans for a while, but Hey, if you're seeing that and you're getting that for a couple of weeks, what that means is it's a step closer to getting those fans back in the seats and getting life kind of back to normal. So if you see that in the next month or two, then you're saying, Hey, the countdown is on. We're going to get closer and closer to kind of normal life being back and, you know, back what we're used to. 
You know, it's interesting, Jay. I, I think we all agree in it and accept that we're going to see some short-term changes to every sports league, every sports team coming back. But do you see any permanent changes these leagues are going to take because of this pandemic? I wonder if, you know, you'd see something where, like, there's something with infrared that tests people, tests people's uh, temperatures when they walk in the building. You know, there are capabilities of doing that. I wonder if that's one of the things. But to me, man, I, I look at it and like, talking to a friend of mine who's one of those people that's a conspiracy theorist and, you know, every single day the sky is falling type thing. And I look at it as, you know, I was alive and living in New York it, 2001 when 9-11 happens and I remember walking home from school that day not knowing if I'd ever go to school again because I was in New York City two days before it or after it happened and I lived in a place with a federal prison there so I was kind of you know a little worried about that and then I wondered like will I ever be able to fly on a plane again so I think right now because we're in the middle of it you know I think we it's hard not to think the worst you know expect you're Try not to expect the worst, but you're also wondering, like, will I ever be able to go see my family again? Like, I don't know that. You know, at, at the time we're talking, it's great to talk to them on phone, but when's the next time I'm going to be able to fly back and see my family? I really don't know that. And it doesn't have to do with work. It just ha kind of happens, you know, what we're doing, what we're dealing with right now. But I think it's kind of short-sighted to think that everything's going to change and nothing's going to be back to the same because you guys know just as much as I do time does heal all wounds and hopefully in the next year two three years yeah we may make some better decisions but it's only going to be a matter of time in my opinion where we're just going to be sitting back up in the press box again and kind of looking down and seeing eighteen thousand ravaging crazy lightning fans getting ready for a big game jay retcher here joins us on power lunch and jay is this a good time for all sports especially the ones that are on pause major league baseball nba nhl in particular to kind of have an opportunity to reevaluate things and maybe find ways to tweak or re-engage. You know, a lot of talk about baseball and the games are being slow, maybe too long. Is there ways that they can kind of use this opportunity to find ways to re-engage maybe some of the generation that's losing them? In the NHL, we all know that their season starts at the same time as uh, college football is just really getting to the heat of it and you're, you're a month in the NFL season and they kind of get lost in the shuffle. We're talking about a potential November or December start for the 2021 season. Is that something that they could look at moving forward that might make more sense uh, from a league standpoint to maybe help grow the business uh, whenever we get back and hopefully get back to complete normalcy? That's a good question, Eric. And I kind of like compare it to something that we're doing at WDAE and, and we're kind of simulating the lightning season and I'm playing three games every Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday night at 8 PM, just following the lightning schedule and going live on Twitch on 95.3 WDA and just kind of talking to, you know, good buddy of ours, Fabio Serini from Italy, who always listens in Fabio, big lightning yep. fan, uh, distant thunder. And I was thinking about that us as a station, like what, what are we going to do as far as kind of reaching out to new clientele and doing this? And I, I look at it in one of two ways with that way, there's people that look at it and go, I'll never watch anybody playing video games, even if there any, isn't anything else going on. So even though we put that effort into it, I don't know if that's kind of the thing that people are looking to do. Same thing with, with these leagues right now. I think they're so worried about getting this season underway and making sure that everybody's safe. I don't know right now if at the top of their minds they're thinking about different ways to kind of 
breach the game to other people and to make the game quicker in baseball or to make it more of a widespread country game here for uh, hockey. I just think it's a little bit different. I think they're just focused on getting back to normal, getting people safe. I don't know if really they have the time or the energy or just, you know, I, I just don't know if that's on the forefront of their imagination. You think there's opportunity there. Uh, I agree with you, but I just think right now people are just like, especially hockey, what can we do to get back to this season? What can we do to either play some regular season games or go right to the playoffs? Because I think hockey, more than any other sport, they need to finish their season more than anybody else. Them losing that revenue could cripple them. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a possibility there. I think there's an opening there. I just don't know if that's on the forefront of everybody's minds. Lastly, for me, have you been watching the, the Last Dance on ESPN? Uh, yeah, I think it's phenomenal. Um, I'm definitely Amazing. going through some trauma right now because I could not stand Michael Jordan growing up. Uh, he ruined my childhood. Me as a big basketball fan, my dad played college basketball, and I was just – I didn't eat McDonald's when I was a kid or drink Gatorade or buy Jordan sneakers or see the movie Space Jam. So, yeah, last night was a wow, little rough for deep. me watching the 93 playoffs again. I, I will admit, I, I turned it on for half an hour last night. I, mm-hmm. This is the first time I've watched it. I know me and Greg have had this conversation. I did not go out and watch it. Uh, I've never been a big NBA fan. Uh, certainly aware of, of Michael Jordan, duh, and what he's <laughs> able to do, uh, what kind of an icon he was. Uh, but it was interesting to see some of the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, that you get just from watching him. Uh, and I think my son said it best that, uh, hey, if this was supposed to be something to put – Jordan in a good limelight. He really comes off as kind of a well. I won't, I won't use the word he said, but you mm-hmm. know, it, it, it kind of puts him in a little different light, right? Like th- this behind the scenes stuff always brings out a different element of players, celebrities, even in that aspect. When you see some of that stuff behind the scenes, rather than the on screen or on the field persona that we know them as. Yeah, and you kind of wonder, like, how would it be now nowadays, like? Would Jordan be able to be around? The media scrutiny was so big back then in 92, 93, and that's without the advances in the modern technology that we have now. Can you imagine Michael Jordan being in his prime right now? That's freaking nuts. But, yeah, I mean, and what I just read earlier this morning is that this documentary has actually made Jordan actually be looking in a better light than what people say. So even after all the bad things you heard last night, uh, they're still not kind of going really deep diving into really how much of a pain in the ass he really was. But yeah, I mean, you always heard the story about him punching Will Perdue and him punching Steve Kerr in the face and how he was a competitor and a you know, big gambler and big golfer. And, you know, he was just, he was built differently, man. And you, Wayne Gretzky was in it last night and you just listen to them and the focus and the drive that a guy like Michael Jordan has. I think the dream team documentary they did a couple years ago, how he would like not sleep. He would go out and he would gamble, then he would go play golf and then he would take a nap and then he'd go out and score 30 points. I mean, it's just, they don't make them like they used to. And Michael Jordan is just one of those guys to me, the best athlete I've ever seen in my life. It pains me to say that, but there was just a coolness about him. There was a smoothness about him. Um, really. I mean, you look at him, you look at Wayne Gretzky, I don't know. Jerry Rice kind of falls into that category, but those three guys to me, when you look at them, it was just, they were never the biggest, fastest, or strongest guys, in my opinion, but they always operated at a different level than everybody else. They were cooler than everybody else. They made the game look easy. And even though I can't stand the guy for ruining my childhood, <laughs> got to give credit where credit is due. Michael Jordan's well, the go you know, you know what, what that um, documentary reminded everybody again 
last night is the worst decision Adidas ever made. <laughs> oh my god! And Converse too. Did you Converse hear that statistic? Adidas, like, what are you doing? And the, yeah, did you the hear that statistic? Said, I'm sure you're going to say it. They said three million by year four, and they sold 126 million dollars in shoe sales. Shoe sales after I mean, year one. That's incredible, and it's just a reminder that uh, you know you had to be a little risky to go with Michael Jordan at the time. wasn't um, the known commodity, obviously, that he is uh, or was when he was uh, doing his thing, winning titles with the Bulls. But still, I mean, that was—I'm not a big believer in celebrities when they endorse a product that it moves the needle a ton. But boy, oh boy, did did Michael Jordan ever move a ton of needles for a lot of different products. <laughs> he was a global icon, and that's yep. the thing is like when you think of a guy like that. And even though I may- mentioned Wayne Gretzky, and hockey's my favorite sport, and even Jerry Rice, Michael Jordan is on a, a level where it- he really is a legend and an American icon. Like he's woven into the fabrics of Americana. When you think about some of the things they said about, you know, the shoe sales, but about how people view America, whether back in the day it was about mu- music and, and TV. And Michael and the Dream Team changed all that. He, you know, now you're looking at people and getting inspired and you see how the NBA is such a global game. But I think it touches outside of basketball. You know, you look at some of those people from overseas and they, they're baseball fans and they're American football fans and hockey fans. Like Fabio, that's a great example, a guy for our buddy from Italy. Like, who knows if things like that happen if michael jordan doesn't join the dream team it doesn't represent his country maybe we're a little more secluded from the rest of the world here so man it's such a crazy kind of butterfly effect and the way that he had his hand in so many different things and so many big companies and you know pretty for the most part pretty squeaky clean image for the most part uh he didn't lose any of those endorsements even amid all that gambling stuff but yeah it's a it's a trip down memory lane there's some scars in there but uh, very, very well done. I can't wait to see what the last four episodes are like. Yeah, he transcended sports, right? Like he was yeah, that perfect. first really yeah. big athlete to transcend outside of sports because you may not follow the NBA. You might not give one about sports, but you knew who Michael Jordan was. Everybody knew who Michael yep. Jordan was. Exactly. Uh, and he, he and the love that he showed for other sports, whether it's baseball or golf. And he was at Chicago Blackhawks games, too, you know, rep- you know yep. representing the city of Chicago. And I think when you do that kind of thing, and it's not – you know, like you're kind of a person that's kind of a, you know, a mercenary that'll sell himself for anything. He was a guy that really genuinely took appreciation and greatness, whether it's Kobe Bryant or Wayne Gretzky or any of these other sports, whether it was baseball when he played in Birmingham Barons with Terry Francona and the boys. I just think a guy like that, when you see him dabble in so many different things, people look at it and go, hey, I I see the beauty in that sport. I see the beauty in what that guy does. And that's something, you know, kind of wrapping up this whole thing, what my grandfather used to tell me, you know, my other grandfather used to tell me the toughest guy, military guy, but his grandparents were figure skaters in in Switzerland. He told me, doesn't matter if you think a sport is good or bad, there's somebody out there winning gold medals or millions of dollars for it. So be careful before you say, you know, figure skating is for wussies or soccer sucks or anything like that. And being a little kid, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Then when you see something like that documentary last night, you're like, yeah, man, there really is beauty in everything, especially sports. Yep, yep, good stuff. Uh, beauty in your birthday, too, Jay. Happy birthday once again. Thank Two you, years will let you go. Uh, don't go too crazy today, huh? 
stay. Uh... Yeah, I know. Ron and Ian are probably going to ask me to do nine million things on the show today. So yeah, it's just <laughs> another day in another day in the neighborhood, boys. But thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate appreciate your friendship and all the hard work that you guys do. And crossing my fingers that uh, the next time I see you guys, or at least if not the next time, the time after that, uh, we'll be in person and we'll be uh, watching some lightning hockey. Look forward to it. Wonderful. Thanks, Jay. Be well, my right, friend. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right, let's uh, jump away for a quick break here. Um, you are listening to Power Lunch on Lighty Power Play. I am Eric Rollinson. He is Greg Lanelli. We'll wrap things up when we come back right after this. The hockey world might be on pause, but Eric Erlinson and Greg Lanelli aren't. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, welcome back to Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson alongside Greg Lanelli and uh, Greg, we had a question that came in on Friday from our good friend Bob that we were not able to get to, so I want to make sure we get to it today before we close things out. Um, he asked, do you have any thoughts on the stumbling blocks to the NHL CBA? It appears both sides are far apart per reports by Pierre Lebrun. Do the Lightning have a player representative for the NHLPA? And if so, what is their role? Um, I'll start with this. Uh, first of all, Alex Kalorn is the player rep, and basically it's exactly what it sounds like. He is the point person for team situations that they have with the NHLPA. That's basically the role of a player rep. Sometimes they get more actively involved in negotiations in, in terms of the CBA and stuff like that. Other times they do not. But in terms of stumbling blocks, this is actually, um, you know, I, I read what Pierre wrote. We're actually at an unprecedented time between the NHL and the NHLPA in terms of how they're getting along in terms of any negotiations. It's, this was even prior to the pandemic hitting and, and putting the league on pause. There were actually positive negotiations taking place. We know that the NHLPA opted not to come out of uh, the current CBA. They had that option and push, you know, a potential lockout uh, to next se- after next season as well, but they agreed to extend the current CBA as it was. Uh, but the only there's like there's no there's nothing on the table that would say, ooh, that that might be a problem. The players want to go to the Olympics. The owners are still kind of keen against that. We know they didn't go in 2018. That's something that's out there. The players do not like escrow and the way it's handled as it is right now. 14% of their paychecks is put into escrow to make sure that the hockey-related revenue is split 50-50 as per the CBA. But there's no real big stumbling blocks here that could make you go, Oh no, we we might be in store for another labor situation. What do you think that would be eventually? That one topic What's... that would that would be worth fighting over? Because you mentioned the escrow, I think that's interesting. Yeah. You've heard rumblings, and you've you've seen some players come out and and not like that as much. I will tell you this: I think it is interesting. You wonder if concessions will have to be made, particularly if players are away from their family to get through this season. Do the owners give in to letting them or allowing them to play in the Olympics as kind of a trade-off? Yeah, that's that's a big thing that the players want. And, of course, I mentioned the escrow. I think the, the owners, the league, if you will, are probably looking because it, it, when this current CBA came into play, you know, we, there's a rookie cap. That was a big thing that came into play after the 0405 lockout was a, a cap on what rookies can make. There, you know, there's signing bonuses and and you know performance bonuses that they can get to a certain level, but they're capped at a at a maximum salary that's actually under a million dollars. 
you know, so that was out there. I, I think the league would now like to try and find a way to uh, rein in, I guess is the best word, these second contracts that players are getting. We know this here, Braden Point in particular. Uh, we're going to hear it with Anthony Sorelli and Mikhail Sergachev in particular. These guys, you know, you're looking at Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner both making $10, $11 million. Uh, you know, those. I think those are the areas that the owners would kind of try and find a way to curb in a little bit uh, to try and make it easier to retain players uh, for maybe a longer period of time, but also to kind of help their cap situation because, you know, you start tying guys into long-term deals at a young age. Uh, so it, it could be beneficial in the long run, but I think in a lot of ways it, it can be a little uh, sticky for owners. So I think that's an area where I think the owners might want to look at is trying to maybe curb the amount you can make in your second contract when players don't have any negotiating rights. They don't have arbitration rights. The only thing that they can do at that point is withhold their services. E, do you think the cap ever goes away? I don't think so. I, I think it's here. I think it's here to stay. Um, you know, maybe there's ways they could tweak it. Maybe this, what we talked about late last week about this luxury tax thing, maybe, you know, like the NBA has the Larry Bird rule where you can sign up your own player for maybe a little more over the cap and pay a luxury tax. That's something that I, th I think that maybe you could kind of tweak and maybe get a way to work at. Uh, but I don't think, I think once, and this was a big thing, um, you know, with Bob Goodnow, who was the NHLPA rep when they had the lockout season, that he knew once the hard cap came in, it wasn't going away. Yeah, and I, what was the player's response to that when it was instituted, right? I mean, I think, I feel like that was one of the things they really had to swallow. They did. I mean, it, it really restricts, you know, if, that, if a team's willing to spend as much as they want. Now, look, you, you don't want a scenario where you had the Colorados and the Detroits back in the 90s spending what they were spending, and then teams, let's say, I'm, I'm throwing out an example, like Buffalo, that's not spending. And, you know, it, it becomes baseball to that, to a certain degree. So I think everybody likes the balance, but it does hinder teams that are willing to throw more money at their star players to keep them rather than have those tough conversations that we have to trade this guy because we can't afford him because of the cap. Yeah, it, well, it because it, you go back to the year the Lightning won the, the Stanley Cup in 04. They had $33 million payroll, I think, which was high for them, but it was low when you looked at what you know the Red Wings were spending, $75, $80 million. They're spending almost three times as much on players, and they were, you were starting to get a competitive imbalance in terms of what teams could spend for their players. So that was a big reason why the league wanted the salary cap, uh, because contracts were getting out of control to the point where – in this business in particular, it's still gate-driven. We're still talking about it 15 years later about how it's still driven by what people pay to get into the buildings to watch the games. You know, So it was going to create that sort of – and it was going to put teams in economic pressure to where maybe they wouldn't be around. And that included the Tampa Bay team. You know, Tampa Bay, before they won the Cup, remember, they were a struggling team. They were getting nine, ten thousand 10,000 people into the building. Um, you know, not that there was talks of relocation involving them, but, you know, there there were talks of some of those teams that were maybe in, in financial issues. Um, you, you know, if they couldn't keep up, they couldn't court. I mean, Carolina – you know, with uh, Sergey Fedorov, what would that have done if they'd been able to sign Sergey Fedorov to that big restricted free agent contract? How much would that have set them back in terms of trying to pay him? We saw this with Shea Weber just a couple years ago when the Flyers signed him with an offer sheet. There was concerns about whether the Predators could pay the $12 million uh, up front that it was going to take to sign Shea Weber. So um, I, I think the salary cap is here to stay to kind of keep competitive balance. That's a big part of it, but also keep teams financially viable. 
No doubt. And uh, it'll be interesting to see with the CBA and, and how things work itself out moving forward. We talk about the new norm in society. What's going to be the new norm when it comes to these sports teams, sports leagues coming back? And I, I think all of this is going to be interesting to follow for the next couple of months. E, that's going to wrap it up for us t- today. I was going to say tonight, but today on the show, we'll be with everybody again tomorrow, noon to one. Don't forget, we've got game four of the first round matchup between the Lightning and Red Wings back in 2016 tomorrow night on 95.3 WDAE and Lightning Power Play starting at 7. E and I will give you some intermission analysis during the breaks. And then, of course, Dave Michigan and Phyllis Bezito will have the calls. So that's always fun. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. I left E so speechless that he didn't know what to say. All right, it's going to wrap it up. We'll be with you again tomorrow, guys. Noon to one. Thanks for listening. We always appreciate it right here on Lightning Power Play.